0: back hello everyone I'm Hannah and I'm Logan and today we're talking about possibly one of my favorite topics we have on our agenda for our first little mini season which is gonna be about dieting and self-care I'd like to preface this episode with just a heads up if you've ever struggled with an eating disorder or disordered eating this episode may be triggering for you as we talk about diets and self care in a very frank, open way. So listen with caution as we tread forward into what is sometimes sensitive territory for many of us. Yeah. I'd like to start with a few statements that we can discuss. Um I'm gonna share them and then I'd like to hear your thoughts. Okay. Binge eating is not self-care. Sugar is not self-care. Caffeine is not self-care. Food is a part of the larger self-care puzzle, but that does not mean always giving ourselves what we crave. On the other hand, successfully following a diet does not make you a better person than those who do not. Being thin does not make you morally superior to those who are not. Even being physically healthy, will not make you happy unless it's part of a larger picture of a thriving human being. Eating responsibly is part of caring for yourself with kindness.
1: Those are some pretty um, direct statements.
0: I know that maybe, how, I guess, how do you feel about those things? When I read those statements, how do they make you feel? What do they connect back to for you in your own experience with clean eating and food and self-care or self-spoiling. I don't even know how to describe <laughs> it.
1: Um, yeah, I mean, I personally haven't ever really struggled with any sort of eating disorder, any sort of shame about eating or my body. Um, I know there are a lot of people out there who have, and so it's not necessarily something that I can personally relate with. Um, there's a lot of people's struggles that, that I'm sure they better understand than I do. Mm-hmm. Um, so I don't wanna pretend to understand what they've gone through. But at least for me, like most of these statements seem to ring pretty true. Um, binge eating is not self-care. Uh, I guess seems pretty self-explanatory. At least in my perspective, um,
0: you'd think they're groundbreaking, or you'd think they're obvious, but to me, being able to write that is pretty groundbreaking, yeah, um, and I know that this isn't necessarily something you've struggled with, like I have or other people maybe listening to this podcast, but that doesn't mean you don't have really meaningful things to contribute. I mean, I want to make sure that. Our listeners know that your relationship with food and getting to witness that as someone who does life with you has been a really healing experience for me. Um, When we first started dating, it was my first time not living at home in my entire life and adjusting to eating in a college setting, which was really stressful for me. A lot of my stress is around people watching me eat or commenting on my eating, Um, paranoia about other people's opinions about my eating, and the way you eat is really low stakes, and by that what I mean is just that food doesn't have some kind of, one meal doesn't have some kind of like eternal implication on your body or on yourself, or even on, like, your life or who you are as a person, food is really, can be very high stakes for me. I can be very anxious about food and how important it is to eat well or not eat well. Um, And so you offer a level of stability.
1: Hmm. Yeah, I mean, like you said, food eating is pretty low stakes for me. I mean, I don't look to food for emotional stability. I don't look to it for, like, how good I'm gonna feel about a day. Um, I mean, I eat food when I'm hungry. I sometimes eat food when I'm not hungry, because I just, I really like to eat. Um, It's pretty enjoyable. When, so when we met, my uh, first couple years of college, I came from, as mentioned in a previous episode, Um, lived on a small farm with a garden. So a lot of, you know, fresh vegetables, fruits, meat, things like that. Um, our own food, not a whole lot of pre-processed things, a lot of natural things. Like I knew where most of our vegetables and meat were coming from. Um, so yeah, having that experience and then going to a college setting to a cafeteria. Um, I think my freshman year, especially, I just... Pretty much just ate whatever I want. I remember eating a lot of pizza. I remember my drink of choice at every meal was half Mountain Dew, half Pink Lemonade. Um That's disgusting. It was It was pretty good. Um, but, yeah, I mean, but given that I didn't really, like, gain a freshman 15 or anything, if anything, I probably lost weight. Um, but then after that, I think it was starting my sophomore year, um... I just decided sort of on a whim to stop drinking as much soda and pretty much just drink water with meals, which honestly wasn't that hard of a transition for me. Um, And several months later when I had a glass of soda again, I was like, this is honestly not that great. Um, And so I think that was, I mean, I'm sure that was a healthy decision for me to make, Um, but I also... Noticed, you know, like, if I'm having pizza every day, my face is getting a lot more oily. So mm. why don't I eat less pizza and eat more salad? Um, so small things like that. I mean, mm. I don't necessarily spend a lot of time trying to figure out what's the most healthy meal I can have every day. But I try to make a lot of small decisions like, hey, I ha- I can eat a salad today instead of having pizza or something super cheesy. Um And you know, over time of making those small decisions, I can really notice my tastes and wants in food changing. Um, So say after having Chick-fil-A sandwich or something, like I won't feel as great if I had had like the Chick-fil-A salad. I've never gone on any sort of diet until this summer. And even this summer is not a super strict diet. Um, We've been trying to eat paleo but I haven't stopped putting a lot putting,
0: of exceptions with a
1: lot of exceptions. I haven't stopped putting cream in my coffee. Um, if we go out to eat, like I'll try to eat paleo, but if there's something I want that is still like decently healthy, I'll usually get it. Um,
0: that's I, another thing that really sticks out to me about your eating is how not obsessive you are Yeah. about your eating habits. You talked about, Making day to day little session little decisions, but that you don't really think a lot about, like, oh, how am I going to eat for my next meal? Oh, how can I eat the absolute healthiest meal possible? Right, and like that to me is healing. I think. Hmm.
1: Yeah, and I mean, it's just my personal experience. I can't. I'm sure for people that say gain weight a lot easier than I do or something like what they eat could be a lot more of a like decision that they have to think about every day and I can understand like if they are trying to get to a certain body goal or something I don't know like there's a lot of people that are going to pay a lot more attention to what they eat than I do I personally eat a lot of food have a high metabolism so I eat a lot but stay like Pretty thin, um, but that's not that's not the case for everyone. Um, but I think the way that I look at food and eat food on a daily basis could still be something that other people follow. Like Hannah's saying, like it's really helped you.
0: I don't want to shame people who, and I don't think you're doing this. Yeah, but I don't. I want to make sure to go out of our way not to shame people who binge eat. That was something that I did a lot of in high school, in particular, my junior and senior year, um, because this act of self-regulating was so difficult for me. Um, And for me, yeah, the idea that binge eating is not self-care is, like, pretty revolutionary. Um, We're on this paleo diet now. Loosely, like how Logan described. I prefer to think of it as like a paleo lifestyle because we, uh, in general, eat paleo, but then there are like a lot of little exceptions. So I wouldn't consider it very rigid. In fact, really rigid diets can be kind of triggering for me. The other Um, day we
1: actually had a discussion. We got a toaster at at Hannah's bridal shower, and Hannah was like, do we really need this? Are we going to ever eat toast if we're eating paleo? And I think for me it was a moment that was like, oh, this isn't just a summer thing. We're actually going to try to continue this. Mm -hmm. And I think for the first time I was like, but I'm going to kind of miss toast. I mean, we've had a discussion before about like, oh, you have to keep butter on the counter so it's soft so that you can spread it on your toast. But then I was like, if we don't have a toaster and we can't make toast because we're eating paleo, we're going to have to put the butter in the fridge. Like, that changes everything. Or
0: just put it on non-toasted bread.
1: <laughs> well, yeah, but I mean, the whole point of not having toast is that we're not eating bread. No, so. it's just
0: not. an. It's only an appliance you can use with bread.
1: Yeah. So.
0: There's a difference between we're never eating bread again and we're not going to buy an appliance. That's sole purpose is for bread.
1: Yeah. I don't know. It was just—it was, it was sort of a moment of revelation that was like, like what you were saying, like a paleo lifestyle. Yeah. When you do those types of things, you have to be intentional. Yeah. So.
0: We've been on a low sugar diet as part of paleo. Obviously, it cuts out a lot of non-natural sugars, all non-natural sugars. Um, but I— one of the things is just I still crave ice cream. It's been like a month or two months since we've like kept ice cream in our house and I still crave it. Um, and one of the things I was trying to explain to Logan was that the craving's not just like a physical sugar craving. It's also an emotional craving because I associate ice cream, like a tub of ice cream in our freezer as a form of self-soothing. Um, it's a way that I learned to establish internal emotional balance. And I might not physically feel better after I eat ice cream, but I emotionally do. And so um, the struggle of my emotional dependence on certain foods to establish equilibrium for me is something that um, hopefully through this episode I'm learning to wrestle with a little. It's something that's hard to talk about because there's not a lot of places to do that, but I don't, I would hate for, you know, this is, this issue in particular that I have with food is something I've inherited. It's something my grandfather struggles with, um, and I very much want to make my peace with it before we ever have kids or grandkids. Um, I wouldn't want food to be so tumultuous for them in fact in in the episode notes that we've written for this episode i just wrote how do i bring joy back into food Hmm. and i think that's such a it's such a root question for me because food is just not joyful um it's stressful and it's intimidating And I feel like I need to know the right things or eat the right things. Um, And I intuitively resist um, health fads and diet trends out of this sense of I need to continue my internal equilibrium. I can't allow myself to become obsessed, so I overcompensate. Um, and I refuse to eat anything, I think it might be good for me. And so learning to have this balance is really in- integral for me.
1: For me, I think something that brings a lot of joy into food is preparing the food myself and making the food. Um, knowing where the ingredients came from, turning raw ingredients into a cooked dish. That brings a lot of joy to me. Um, also there's no real distinction for me between like healthy foods and unhealthy foods it's I mean it's all just food so I don't look at like healthy food and think oh that's healthy so it's probably not going to taste good or like Mm -hmm. I'm probably not going to want to eat that um I look at kale the same way I look at I don't know a piece of toast um I don't think I place a lot of value judgments necessarily on different types of food. I mean, sure, I'm going to be like, I shouldn't eat like a bowl full of donuts, but that's not necessarily because the donut is bad. Donuts aren't bad. They're a food. Someone made that. I mean, it took, someone made a recipe that makes donuts and that's creative and that's art. Um, but you know, all things in moderation compared to you know, what the thing is, like, I'm not going to eat a bowl full of donuts, I'm also not going to eat kale at every meal, so I think a lot of times it's just having balance in the foods you eat, whether those are balancing your healthy foods and balancing your unhealthy foods, Um, like, for me, yeah, I'm trying to eat paleo, but also I saw some movies recently and got a bag of candy when I saw the movies, because I wanted some, and it seemed enjoyable, so, I mean, yeah. I don't know. I think you, you were talking earlier about ice cream being a uh, food that brought you like emotional stability. Um, I think for me that's not necessarily something I can relate with. Except I did think of one instance, like coffee. I wouldn't consider myself addicted to caffeine because I don't necessarily need the drug for, you know, daily living, but there's something about having a warm cup of coffee in the morning that just It's almost like part of my morning routine. I mean, I can go without coffee and have for several days before with no adverse effects, but it's become part of a lifestyle, and I could see how that could be considered like some sort of emotional Hmm. support, like mornings feel better with a cup of coffee.
0: Hmm. Yeah. What you said about the movie theater and about that sounding enjoyable and the idea of being like everything in moderation made me think of... um, the previous episode where I quoted my friend saying, um, sometimes the most physically healthy people are some of the most emotionally miserable people. Um, and I think what she was trying to get at by saying that, which I really resonated with, was this idea that to be a flourishing human being, um, to only focus on the physical as making you flourishing, whether that's if i could only lose 15 pounds then i'd be happy or whether it's if i just ate this if i just went without dairy for a whole week i would be happy and i would feel good about myself you know regardless of what that looks like for a person this idea that moderation is a is a sign of an emotionally stable and healthy person i i think it's kind of a chicken egg scenario I think that it's hard to tell whether an emotionally stable person is willing to bend the rules of a a healthy food lifestyle or whether bending the rules of a healthy food lifestyle makes you an emotionally healthier person. It's hard to tell. Um, I don't know if there's any way of knowing, but I think that she was on to something when she made that statement because um, oftentimes if people are all one or all the other, there's A desperation involved in that that just doesn't exist in an emotionally balanced person
1: I see some people who are trying to eat really healthily and put a lot of good things into their body and yet I look at the things they're eating and can't imagine how they're enjoying that Mm -hmm. and that seems like a huge loss to me I would never want to try to eat a certain way that would take the enjoyment out of food Mm -hmm. um I mean, I think part of that is easier for me because I enjoy almost all foods, and so I can make those decisions to not eat some things and still enjoy food quite a bit. But yeah, like, I wouldn't want to go on a diet where I wouldn't be happy because that seems self-defeating mm-hmm. to a certain amount.
0: And I think it's really different for me when, I think a great example you used was the, I noticed that. When I eat a lot of pizza, my face gets really oily. When I see, like, a a specific food wreaking a certain kind of havoc on my body, whether that's giving me acne or giving me weird poops or whatever that might be, hashtag dairy, like, it's so much easier for me to cut that out of my diet because I see a direct correlation between I I emotionally and physically feel better when I don't eat that food. Um, A lot of people, I think, just eat healthily because they're like, I've been told this is good for me. And that's not a bad thing. Um, Obviously, the experts say that because they're experts and they know. But at the same time, I think it does give you a kind of disassociation from actually knowing your body and having to pay attention to it and say, what makes me feel good and what doesn't? And having to be in tune to that, because I think a lot of people are so out of tune with their bodies that they might not even notice like for the longest time I was eating Chick-fil-A sandwiches like you said at so many meals and didn't even notice I wasn't feeling good until I stopped eating them and realized how much better I felt when I wasn't eating them so the level of a tune a tune a tune how do you pronounce that word um, to your body and the way that it behaves or responds to certain foods is an act of kindness I think to yeah. yourself
1: Sure. I enjoy food a lot. I don't think that if you're a person who doesn't enjoy food as much as I do, I don't think that's something to feel bad about though. Um, Mm. we can't all enjoy food a lot. I mean, there's a lot of people that... I
0: think it's something to aspire to though. Yeah. Like a lot of people, the reason why they don't enjoy food is because of how high stress it is. Yeah. And...
1: I think if there's baggage related to your food journey, then that's definitely something you should, you know, think about and consider. I don't think you should feel bad about yourself if oh, no. you just aren't that crazy about eating or something. I mean, it's kind of like a sport that we all have to play. So it's a bad analogy, but not everybody <laughs> likes basketball. So Sure, but... But this is a basketball we all have to play. So if you do enjoy it, that'd be great
0: I for you. <laughs> I don't know if I agree with you, which isn't a bad thing. I just want to, like, challenge that a little bit because I think so many of us, you know, a, the, in the description of this podcast is how do we reconcile food as the inescapable center of our lives? Yeah. The idea there is that regardless of whether we want it to be or not food is at the center of so much of our relationship with ourselves and with other people and with our families and with our communities and with our world and our planet and all of it. And so how do we learn to love it and be good stewards? I think everyone can love food Hmm. if they want to. And I think a lot of us have baggage, myself included, related to food. But I don't think The problem is I just don't like food. The problem is there are these things on the way hindering me from being able to love and appreciate food. And what needs to happen is those other things need to be made, we need to be able to make peace with those things and clear them aside to be able to really enjoy food. But I think that everyone has the capacity to enjoy food and the only reason I can imagine somebody wouldn't is because of all the baggage related to it in and Mm -hmm. of itself. Whether that's I have a ton of allergies and food has always been stressful. Yeah. Or my parents were obsessed with healthy eating and I tried to overcompensate to have emotional balance. Yeah. Whatever that might be. I think a lot of us have stress relating to food and I don't think this, I don't think the solution is just, well, that's just how I am. I don't really like to eat because I think we're all wired to like to eat. Mm -hmm. So how do we clear aside those other things to be able to be more fully human and i think the most full human version of ourselves is to love the act of eating
1: yeah i think i agree with you i do i have a question for you though what do you think about people who eat along very strict guidelines for the purpose of say like athletes or olympians who Eat along very strict diet guidelines, I'm presuming. I mean, I don't have scientific fact for this, but I'm assuming they eat very consciously um, they because do. they are expecting yeah. their bodies to perform at a very high level. How, like, do you have any insight on how someone like that would still enjoy eating even though they have those restrictions that they have in place because they're doing something they love?
0: I think that's the key, though, is they're doing something they love. Mm-hmm. So even though they might not be eating for the sake of enjoying the food that they're eating and they're eating for some kind of other purpose, um, there's still something they love associated with what they're doing, um, which I think is healing. But also that to say I'm not an Olympic gymnast or athlete and I have no idea how to make eating livable for an athlete Mm -hmm. i do know that uh nobody is an athlete for their entire lives Mm -hmm. so i think it's different to eat a certain way for a season than it is to eat to have a permanent view of food Mm -hmm. like if like for example when you're pregnant there's a lot of things you can't eat Mm -hmm. you can't have alcohol you can't have sushi you can't have you can't have sushi no i didn't know that you've never been pregnant so you don't need to know that Well, you haven't been pregnant either (laughs) but (laughs) no but I've heard these things. Okay. I know, and I talk to more pregnant women than you do. I trust you. Um, And there are other things, too, I don't know of. But I know for sure those are the, like, two really popular, like, ones to talk about is sushi and alcohol. So you can't have any of those things while you're pregnant. But that's a temporary season where, you're, where your food is altered in order to come about something you're going to love. Creating mm-hmm. a human being, a person. Yeah. And, and then you can go back to the ways that you find healthy and meaningful to eat. Yeah. So I think it's different to have a seasonal, circumstantial thing. Like I think, for example, people with allergies, that's circumstantial. It's for your whole life, but it's not your fault necessarily. But you can learn to love and enjoy food and make your peace with it while also having food restrictions.
1: I think one of the big takeaways here is whatever you're doing or however you're altering, you eat food to not have it be motivated by shame. yes, um but like if you have a goal to lose some weight and you want to eat a certain way to do that, absolutely. like I don't see a problem with that as long as yeah, as long as it's not motivated by shame necessarily or fear. yeah fear or, or shame.
0: Fear. I think if you're motivated by I love myself. And I genuinely want to have a body I can thrive in and flourish in. and that looks like doing blank. then by all means, do it.
1: And that doesn't mean you can't thrive and flourish in your current body. Yes, as well. I think it's a, yes. I think' it's a concept here of a goal you have for yourself that isn't motivated by what you think other people's perceptions are. Sure. But what you personally want for good reason.
0: Yeah. So And that goes back to saying, Th- being thin will not make you morally superior. One of the, so I'm not I'm not big, but I'm also not like thin. I'm pretty solidly in the middle. Um and there are two things that have been really healing for me unexpectedly in my relationship with my body. Um the first, I don't remember where I heard this, but a quote from someone who was meeting with a nutritionist and she was a little bit larger doing some kind of article and she met with a nutritionist who told her that she puts on weight because her body actually is more efficient in processing the nutrients she's receiving than somebody who's thinner than her with a higher metabolism. And when I read that, um, that made me feel just like a, like a rush of appreciation and compassion for myself because my body's actually doing like, a good job, and that's why it grows or puts on weight, because it's actually doing a more efficient job of processing what it's given. It's not betraying me. It's not letting me down. It's not failing me. It's actually, like, going above and beyond to accomplish its goal, and so it would, it helped me appreciate my body that much more. Also, this is not a fitness episode, but we've been doing CrossFit this summer, and being able to see, like, what I can lift, And that I actually have the capacity to be like really strong has also been really meaningful for me when I see my body is like maybe not a size two, but I sure can lift a lot of weight. My body can do some amazing things. And so seeing my body like at work in such a physical way has been really healing too.
1: I think a lot of times we have a perception of a body type that We expect of each other as humans. um, But I think it's practically impossible to have, like, an average body type or an expected Mm -hmm. body type of what's most healthy. Because I think every individual is made unique and bodies are made unique. And different people are going to be good at different things. I am a better runner at Hannah. Oh my gosh, so much better. (laughs) Hannah has the possibility to proportionally lift a lot more than I do because of how your body is made
0: there, so. there are some, like, exercises that I'm just naturally, like, better at than you are. Yeah. And then there are others where you're better at them than I am. Yeah. Because our body types are very different. Yeah. Um, before we wrap up, I have one more philosophy I wanted to share and hear your thoughts on. Hit me. Um, I have this theory that, you know, we talk a lot, obviously, that, that food and fruits and vegetables are better for you because of all the nutrients they contain, that sort of thing. But I'm going to be very Wendell Berry-ian right now and suggest that perhaps another aspect of it is the fact that we are designed to be closer to the earth in its food-making. Um, you know, the Karl Marx concept of proximity of labor. Um, we've been separated from labor, quite literally... The like the where the food gets grown and farmed, we're far from it. I could buy bananas that were grown in Florida or Mexico and and then eat them and have never seen the people who made them come into being. Um, Some of that is great. I mean, if before the separation of labor, I would have never been able to have bananas (laughs) in Chicago, but now I can. But the I think aspect of that that's painful for us spiritually in ways we don't even cognitively think about is the fact that I think we're designed to be close to the making of that happen. I think that's why uh, farmer's markets give us so much joy and being able to go to the store and pick out your food and go home. I think there's something sacred about that, why we love to have gardens so much. I mean, part of it is it's cheaper, but part of it is also that we get to see our food grown and eat it And there's a study that's definitely been done, I don't have the numbers on it right now, that kids are more likely to eat fruits and vegetables if they were the ones who grew them. And so I think that's such a great testament to how wired we are to be connected to our food in a way that's not just stuffing it in our mouths and being done with it, but getting to see it come into being and have it be this kind of alive thing that we get to connect with. So I think that Fruits and vegetables definitely have more nutrients, but they're also, I think, healing for us on an emotional, maybe even spiritual level. But what do you think?
1: I mean, I think there's something to be said that the creation story places Adam and Eve in a garden in the beginning. Mm -hmm. Um, And for hundreds of years, our ancestors either farmed or were nomads. Um, We weren't created in cities with processed foods readily available. We were created in a way where we had to grow our own food, find our own food. Um and whether that was out of necessity or whether that's because we were made to be close to our food and to enjoy that process. I don't know, but I think I think there's a lot of value in that. I can I can definitely see that, you know, that study that you mentioned that kids who grow their own food will be more likely to eat it that definitely makes a lot of sense as someone growing up mm-hmm. having gardens having animals um
0: you grow up with some- a close proximity to the food like yeah what I'm talking about
1: yeah there's something very satisfying about um putting in the hard work to create something that you can consume but know you are the reason that you're eating this right now mm-hmm. um and I mean even if that's getting things from a farmers market and cooking it yourself like it's so much more of a creative act when you have a part in it rather than just like warming up something from the store. Um it's one of the many reasons I enjoy cooking and food is for that, but yeah, I would definitely agree with you.
0: That feels like such a contemplative place to stop. Yeah. Like I feel like I wanna just like sit in a garden now and think about all the all the things I could be growing if I wasn't sitting in the garden instead of growing something.
1: Yeah. I just had a picture of you doing that and you look kinda of like a Hindu goddess, but you know.
0: <laughs> what a great mental image. <laughs> Thanks so much for listening. As always, you can find both of us on Instagram and Twitter. My username on um, both places is Hannah Shafe,
1: and mine is Logan J Evans. You can also hashtag any posts or tweets towards us with #FoodologyPodcast, or email us with any questions, concerns, or recipes um, at FoodologyPodcast at outlook um,
0: We're yeah. grateful that you're listening along with us. And we are more than eager to hear your thoughts, questions, suggestions for any things that we talked about here.
1: Hopefully this has been helpful to you or someone you know.
0: It's been very healing for me.
1: It's good. I'm glad.
0: Until next time, I'm Hannah. I'm Logan. And this is Foodology Podcast.
1: foodology podcast theme music is by jazar check him out on freemusicarchive.com